My name is Marissa Williamson-Polman. I'm a proud Nadanjedi woman from South Australia with strong family connections to Kwandamuka, Yidinji and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung. I'd like to acknowledge the Yugara people of Mianjin, the colonial state of Queensland. Pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. This land was never sold. So this will always be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land. In my culture, we always think about the seven generations before and the seven generations after. I want to be that role model to young people because one day I'm going to be the team captain and they're going to be aspiring to be like me and they're going to be on the team and I'm going to be mentoring them. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to Building Doors, the podcast where we delve into the extraordinary stories of individuals who've paved their own way to achieving the success, freedom and purpose in their lives today. Joining us, we have an exceptional guest, Marissa Williamson-Polman, who is a proud Narendjeti with strong family connections to Kwandamuka, Yidinji, Wurundjeri and Wurrung. Riss is a two-time Australian champion boxer and someone who I feel embodies the spirit of the Building Doors podcast. Riss has competed both nationally and internationally, collating an impressive list of achievements under her belt. Within only four years of her boxing career so far, she's achieved so many milestones, including two-time national boxing champion, 2019 NADOC Sports Person of the Year, 2021 Sports Australia Hall of Fame Scholarship Holder, and national representative on the high-performance national boxing team. She's also toured Europe with the Australian boxing team, where she was selected as a representative for the Women's World Boxing Champions team in India. Her next milestone will be the National Boxing Championships with her ultimate goal to head to the Olympics. While her introduction to boxing began as an outlet to keep her away from detention, after a tough childhood of foster care and homelessness, she quickly fell in love with the sport and turned it into a career. Outside of boxing, Riss works as a heritage policy officer at the Department of Premier and Cabinet Victoria, providing a First Nations perspective into policy making. As a proud Naranjeri woman, she is deeply passionate about caring for the country and its restoration. She's committed to promoting community-led and endorsed land management from policy to practice. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, Riss. I am so inspired the more I hear about your career journey. Uh, that you've been able to overcome so many obstacles to get to where you are today. So tell us tell us about what that journey's been like for you and, and where you started from. Um, so I was playing AFL um, at a pretty high level. I was 16. I was playing for a talent squad, um, the Richmond, Richmond Football Club. Um, and I started boxing. I was naive at the time. I didn't realise that I was walking into a gym for at-risk youth and um, that was keeping kids in care and in residential care off out of trouble really and out of detention. So, And then um, I really took a liking to boxing for whatever reason and um, then I just shortly hang up, like hanged up the football boots and never really looked back with the boxing. Mm. Um but yeah, it's changed my life and yeah, I'm just, yeah, can't believe where I am 
Like this, this, the seventeen-year-old that walked into that gym. Like I honestly can't imagine. I couldn't possibly imagine to be in the position that I am right now. So, how do you keep? You know, so you're seventeen and you're walking into this gym. How? How do you get the mindset to keep working so hard at something, you know, I've always been inspired by successful sports people because of that mindset and that grit and determination you need. How do you keep your mindset strong? I mean, the truth is it's not It's not always. Um, it's kind of like fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess I just really enjoyed it. Um, and even during the hard times, you kind of, it's, you know, if you take the hard road, you'll live an easy life. So I always think about if I just persevere, um, then something will, good will come from that. Mm. And um, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. So, What obstacles were you up against when you wanted to get into boxing? So what were some of the challenges early on when you started training? How, how w- was it difficult to be able to get to the gym and commit to everything that you needed to do from a training perspective early on? Well, I... I grew up in out-of-home care and I was um, in full-time care from um, ages 9 to 17. Um, so I was in I was living in a suburb in the western um, suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah. This has the ha- la- highest rate of Aboriginal children living in out-of-home care in Victoria. Um, and, you know, at the time I was really just – it was really – turbulent period where I was just going from house to house to house and um, experienced homelessness um, frequently. Um, I actually was homeless without a coach um, because my coach at the time was also my foster carer. So I ended up homeless at 17 when he relinquished care and I ended up going to um, actually my auntie's Lydia, um, Lydia Thorpe, so Senator Thorpe sent me some money to go to the Nationals in Queensland mm. and that's when I went on to win the youth national title. And if I didn't do that, I don't know what I would be doing right now. So I'm really thankful to Arnie Lydia for what she's done for me. And Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, you know, I, I think a lot of times, and we've spoken about this, people don't understand what's involved. When you showed me your schedule and what you had this like past week, I was like, oh my gosh. I think a lot of people don't understand what's involved and the intensity involved in training, you know, and and the fact that you also have a job that you do you know, do as well. So tell us more about, around, so talk me through a, like a normal week of training for you, what's involved, like from when you wake up to when you go to bed. So at the moment, I wake up at five I get a session done. It's probably like a run or a sprint session. Um, then I go to work, start work at eight, work till four, um, quickly get changed, uh, go to training and I'm there probably until like 7.30, 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. drive straight home, get ready for bed and pass out. Like, yeah. And that's basically like Monday to Friday and then Saturday I'm in the gym basically from like eight to like one um, just to make up for those extra hours that I miss during the week. Mm-hmm. But also on top of that, you know, I have a lot of practitioners. I have a doctor, a physio, a chiro, mm. a naturopath, and two dietitians, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, because that's what it takes to be wow. at a, at this high level. But also, I'm as an elite athlete in Australia. There's the expectation that you medal at the Olympics or you go to the Olympics, but you're a fully self-funded athlete. Um, 
So also managing myself, managing my sponsorships, seeking sponsorships. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard, but also like working full time and also volunteering like up until now because I kind of just had to set the boundary. But up until now, I was the secretariat of the Victorian Black Greens. So Mm -hmm. I was doing secretariat work in a political party. Yeah. So don't ask me why I did that. But um, yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you why you did it from a times perspective, but I am going to ask you where the passion came from. Because obviously when you volunteer, it's always something that you're passionate or interested in. So like when you started doing the volunteer work and, you know, in in that side of things, what what drove that area or that interest for you? Australia is going through a paradigm shift. There's the Europe Justice Commission in Victoria, um, Treaty in Victoria and the referendum that's happening at the end of the year mm-hmm. near the voice to parliament. Mm. So I just had this community and cultural obligation to use my knowledge and my my weight, if you will, to throw around to support my community in any way I, I can. Mm. And that was a time when Lydia, because I also feel obligated because of what Lydia Thorpe has done for me in my life, um, so when she was in the party, mm. um, that was when I was there. But since she's left, and when I was in when I was in Europe and India, like when I was in Europe, she was getting dragged through the media. And when I was in India, I remember I was at a sparring session. I just picked up my phone, and she was getting dragged across the ground by mm. police. And that was when I was like, I just can't be a part of this political party anymore. Mm. Um, they've done nothing to support her, so mm. that's why I've stopped. Yeah, that's sad. That's like sad that she and you know put her heart into something, and it must have been hard for you seeing that happen to her, like seeing that in her, the media, and you know that kindness that she's done for you. You know, you know her at a deeper level than other people would do. It's like it's literally systemic racism. Like I haven't seen any like white woman who's in politics be dragged through the media the way that she has been dragged through the media. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, really disappointing that you, you know, had to experience that too, especially, you know, with how much she's done for you. So when you're looking at your career, so you've got your boxing and, you know, just hats off to you, the what you've achieved, I don't even know, like, you know, how you have achieved it. You know when people go, how do you do it all? Like you must. I don't know, girl. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So fuck, how do you fit it all in? But then tell me more about, so you've got your other role. So tell me more about your studies and things like that that you've been doing in your day job. So during COVID, I there was a job advertisement. I was freshly 18. Melbourne was the most locked down city in the whole world, 5K radius. Mm. And it was a job opportunity for a First Nations ranger trainee. Mm. And so then I got my cert through in land conservation management and then I went on to, and I just developed so much cultural knowledge, plant knowledge, water knowledge. And then I went on to becoming um, Agriculture Victoria's very first cultural heritage officer, which was a massive deal for the Victorian community because 90% of cultural heritage is on private land. Mm. I then went in, um, stepped into this new role in heritage policy First People State Relations, mm. and that's a new role, and it's it's um, like I said, it's the hardest time to be an Aboriginal person working in government because there is a complete shift mm. in everything. Like everything is about to change. There's going to be mass reform mm. across the state of Victoria and and nationally as well. So mm. it's been a lot, 
um, the cultural load on top of what I'm already doing from day to day and week to week is mm. immense and it's really like I can feel the weight now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me more about, so when you talk about cultural load and systemic racism, does that show up, you know, and obviously, you know, in the boxing world sometimes for you as well, like you've travelled globally and things like that. Do you experience that, those, that weight there as well or is it more from the work side of things? I'd say definitely it's more from the work side of things um, because I'm I'm actively participating in it. Yeah. I'm in that space yeah. constantly. But, of course, like I'm f- – I'm white presenting, um, so I I feel like at times I'm I'm not white enough, but I'm not black enough either. Mm. So I feel like I cop racism from both sides. Yeah, um, and a lot of mixed First Nations people actually feel that way. Yeah, um, that's just been my experience though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In terms of your career now, and and looking at boxing, looking at um, the work that you're doing. What's the impact that you hope to make? What are some things, you know, because we've spoken before and you're a fairly passionate person and I loved that about you. What are some of the changes that you want to see happen um, in our country? Honestly, like full self-determination. Australia is the only country or Anglo-colonised country in the world that does not have a treaty with its first peoples. Mm. So that needs to happen. It needs to be like I don't want to put my personal opinions in here too much but there needs to be more than a voice there needs to be self-determination we have our own table and we're fully self-governing ourselves and making decisions for our people Mm. um without um without government timelines and agendas and Mm -hmm. whatnot um that's that's where I see it but also allies doing the work themselves Mm. like it's they don't have the social license anymore like people don't have the social license anymore to not know like be ignorant, like they need to educate themselves Mm. because if you don't even know like whose country you're living on, for example, like how are we supposed to actually dismantle the real challenges that Mm. a community are facing? Mm. Yeah, makes sense. So tell me around your, um, I guess, your boxing career today, what's next for you? What is your next sort of five-year plan and and what are you hoping to achieve? Dear Lord. (laughs) I'm I'm not a year by year type of girl. I'm a, I'm a day by day <laughs> woman type of woman. Um, but I I'd say you know the nationals are coming up, and um, you know I have a really strong competitor in that weight category now. So get if I got it over her, that would be an amazing, just would be awesome on my resume. Mm. Um, she's been under Kay Scott. She's been undefeated in Australia for 12 years. Like she's coming down from 70 kilos to 66. She's currently the number two in the world. Mm. So to beat her would probably set up my whole boxing career, to be honest. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, to go to the Pacific Games as the number, like number one 66 and go on to becoming the first Aboriginal woman to represent um, Australia in mm. the Olympics in boxing, like there's never been an Aboriginal woman in the sport of boxing go to the Olympics. No. So that would be an amazing achievement. But um, I'm only 21 years old, so I don't even, like, I, like, I don't even know. It's day by day. <laughs> like it's a day by day thing. <laughs> um, but I would, like, you know, I'd love to keep progressing in my role and potentially, you know, once I hang, hang up the gloves, um, go on to studying science and law and really just put my full focus into that. I love that. 
You've got like, it's almost like you've, you've got like two goals. You've got your, your sporting career, but then you're also, you know, highly active in um, land management and that side of things as well. So you, you've got two things that you're really passionate about that are going, you know, going on in your life. It's, it's like good and bad because it's like I've got, I've got a plan B that I can, give, I can you know, yeah. fall back onto because boxing you can't do forever. Um, but also it's really hard because I feel um, I get sort of like this imposter syndrome and like this really sense of like really like sense of obligation and I feel like I'm not doing enough and which I'm doing a lot. <laughs> like yeah, I'm you doing are. A lot. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I should be working more. I should be training harder. But there's not enough time in the day for, like to work harder or train more. Or, yeah. So just looking after myself is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah, because when you've got two things like that is so huge, you know, at the, at the level that you're at with boxing and then the work that you're doing when they're both, you know, that feeling of being satisfied and going, I'm enough, like what I'm doing in my day is amazing and what I'm able to do. But it's hard to mentally say that to yourself as well when you've got so much that you want to achieve. My psychologist said that the reason I feel this way is because especially in the cultural heritage space and um, traditional owners um, feeling empowered to assert their, their cultural rights, mm. there's there's always going to be work. Like you got, you'll do something but there'll be the next thing to do mm. because it's such – there's so much work. You can't undo colonisation but there's a lot of work that needs to be done to repatriate. Mm. Um, but also with boxing, like I'm on the Australian team and they're freaks. Like they're training really hard. <laughs> like, like I'm training the hardest in my in my gym in my state probably. Um, but when you go into the team, like the, some of them like are only like working casually because they're so fully committed to boxing. But I just can't do that because of the community and cultural like responsibility that I feel like I have. Yes. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the funding side of it. Because this is really interesting and I don't think the general public would understand how it works. Tell us about how, how an athlete funds this kind of journey and, you know, especially, you know, with with trying to juggle work and training commitments, how, how does the funding work? Personally, like, I don't even feel like I'm working but, like, because it's, like, my life and my community's um, life and whatever but, you know, obviously working full-time is every cent I make goes into um, funding boxing and once you get a certain level of categorization then you get like 75% or 100% of your trips paid for but at the moment like I'm mostly self-funding myself mm. and um but when I go away like if I if I win at the nationals this year in July like I'll be on tour with the team and I'll have to take that time off work and potentially lose my job like not to say that I will but you know, if if I if I'm not going to be there, they'll probably to, like they'll probably look for someone else that can can do the full time commitment. Mm. Um, so there's a lot to think about, and so it's the loss of income when I'm away. It's the actual cost of the trip, um, the cost of food, like the cost of training, like but also the cost of living when I'm overseas, but also when I'm at home for like yeah. rent and bills. Like it's a lot. <laughs> like. It's a lot. <laughs> I think people don't realise that. I think people somehow, somehow you know, because people look at athletes and they go, well, you know, it's amazing what they can achieve and, and, it, and it is. But I don't think people, people just look at the training perspective and they go like getting yourself to that elite level, you know, would be a lot of work. But I think people don't realise the funding side of it and being able to 
keep a job, keep funding the training, keep funding the trips is a huge, huge problem or struggle for athletes as well, which, yeah, I I didn't realise until we started talking around what's involved and how long will you have to go over, like when you travel, how long is it for? Well, I got invited to this camp in Queensland um, and this was a whole week. Yeah. I'll be back for a week and then I'll be gone for another 10 days and I'll be back for a few days. I think it's like 12 days and I'll be back like we're going to WA. If I'm on the team, then there's another camp in Canberra, Bosnia, Queensland again, like Solomon Islands. Like then there's camps like leading up to the Paris Games in America and Asia and mm. then we're going to Nancy in in France. So yeah. like if you're gone for like those periods of time, paying for the actual trip, paying for the cost of living, paying for the training, paying for the recovery – it's almost like it feels impossible. Like yeah. It feels really impossible. Like that's – I'm like how am I ever – like the reality also is to get better, you train more. Yeah. You go overseas, you fight more. But if you don't have the funds to fund the opportunity, then you'll miss out. You won't get better. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle yeah. at the moment. Yeah. 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 You need the funds to be able to do do more but then at the same time, you know, you're trying to juggle work and, and things like that. And that's why sponsorship and and we will put a link at the episode, that's why sponsorship is so important yeah. and being able to get that funding. funding. Mm. Uh, what would you, if someone's listening to this uh, episode right now and they're feeling, you know, like they've got a big, big goal that they want to do and, and they're, that imposter syndrome is, you know, it's coming in hard and they're not sure if they can get there. What are, what are some of the things you say to yourself? You know, because um, I had another guest on recently was talking about her own inner voice and she came from like a really tough childhood and she had an inner voice and that, that always said to her, you don't belong, you know, you you, you got to keep striving. What what are some of the things you say to yourself to stay stay focused? Honestly, like it just depends. Like like there's times where I'm feeling on top of the world and there's other times where I'm not and that, that's just like the human experience. Like we're not always going to feel amazing. Yeah. Um, but always just self-reflecting and thinking about like, damn, like the 17-year-old girl that was down and out, homeless, like couldn't afford to eat, like who just always dreamed of being an Australian champion and having her own house and having like having an established family and a, and a good coach and I have all of those things now. And then I think I'm like, wow, I actually have, if I think about it like that, like I've already got everything I want, so I've really got nothing to lose. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it too. Yeah. Yeah. Way back then, did you ever think or did you th- think in your mind that this was going to be possible for you? No way. <laughs> um, I always dreamed about it though. Like I manifested it so much. I would dream about it. Like I would literally go to sleep at night and dream about it. Um, but I didn't think it would just, it just, it's like it came overnight. Like it just ha- happened overnight. Like it's weird. Like I'm on the team and there's people that are on the team that have gone to a Commonwealth Games and gone to the Olympics, have medaled. Like there's people I'm going to have to fight that have that I w- used to look up to, you know, aspired to be like. Yeah. You know, my team captain, Caitlin Parker, like I literally, she was the one that I wanted to be like and now she's like I'm on her team. <laughs> like she's my team captain. Like we're on, like it's just like it just – I just, I, honestly, that's why I always have time for young people. Mm. Um, like in my culture, it's all we always think about this, like the seven generations before and the seven generations after. Mm. I, w- I want to be that role model to young people 
and because one day I'm going to be the team captain and they're going to be aspiring to be like me and they're going to be on the team and I'm going to be mentoring them and so it, it will come around, all this, the cycle of life will come around, yeah. I don't know if you realise what you did then but I loved it. You said one day I'm going to be the ca- uh, team captain and I love how the language you use is I'm going to, which is like just to me sums up the determination I see in you. You know, you you put your mind to something, you manifest it, you sleep and think about it and you, it's it's not a question of if I become, you're like when I become. I love that. I just, just sometimes the way people say something makes you realise how determined you are, you know, that you know that that you're going to make it happen. The use of language is literally so important. Like sometimes you remember things people say like years later mm. and the way that you talk to yourself and about yourself to others and like just internally like is so important. I think sometimes people don't think about, you know, you might give, do you ever have that where you might give someone a piece of advice or you might say something or someone says something to you and it might have just been a passing comment to them. But if it really meant something with you, it sticks with you. And it's something you can think of from years and years to come. Has there ever been a piece of advice like that that someone's given to you? Um, literally, I said it before, like, if you take the hard road, you'll live an easy life. And two years ago, I had a pretty, pretty, like, terrible, like, suicide attempt. And I, my first instant instinct was to call my boxing coach at the time. Mm. And he picked me up from the hospital and he basically sat me down and he was like, something needs to change. And, yeah, so he encouraged me to, like, move out into my own place and just really take the time to get to know myself and reestablish what my life and, like, rewrite my life because mm. it wasn't going well. And um, I would just be training so hard. We'd be training so hard together. And he would – he never missed a training. Like, mm. we were there – like six days a week together and messaging me, calling me like after every training session and he just kept saying to me, if you take the hard road, you live an easy life and that's what I continue to do. Oh, thank you for sharing that story. Here you go, some water. (laughs) Gil just brought in some water. I think I'm going to get rid of this because this is driving me nuts. I think think people – I'm glad you shared that because people see athletes and it's almost like people see athletes as superheroes. Seriously, there's no other way to describe it. And, you know, if someone can hear that you've had those struggles too and you've gone through those dark moments and it took, and it was someone's words that was able to kind of help pull you out, you know, like you you can make a difference in someone's life by being there for them and reminding them that there is a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that the struggles are going to lead somewhere. We've talked before about um, toxic positivity. I want you to share this because I was like, when when Riz spoke to me about this, I was like, this is a thing. Um, so I think it's important. Um, it's, it's good to have a strong mindset, don't get me wrong. But then we had a chat about it and I think it's important to talk about it now. The impact toxic positivity can, ha- can make when maybe someone is in a dark place. Tell me more around your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, so I've been diagnosed with... Um, complex PTSD and I do suffer with anxiety Um, and I really I used to just pretend like the feelings weren't there and that I was so tough and blah 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 but I think what makes you tough is actually feeling your emotions and asking for help when you need it 
and I'm op- I'm very open about the fact that I have a psychologist that I've seen for the last three years. I have a psychiatrist, and also I'm also very transparent about how I'm feeling. Like people people will actually say to me like you need to keep your cards closer to your chest, but I feel so um, I'm quite happy to share exactly how I'm feeling. Um, so people feel like they're not alone um, because we always think that it's we're having like this in individual experience, but it's actually a collective experience. A lot of people feel this way. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, listening to a happy song and going out and meditating and manifesting is is just a load of shit. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it's just a load of shit. Like sometimes you need to go and like go and get help, go to therapy, like mm. move move houses, like cut off people out of your life, get med- like go on medication. Like sometimes you that's what you need to do. And the other stuff is great. But like I think people there's like a massive stigma around doing that stuff. Yes. And like it's very necessary. Mm. Trust me. Take it from me, honey. Like <laughs> I don't like <laughs> I I think it's interesting what you spoke about as well because um a lot of what you said is just doing stuff, doing stuff that's that's hard and it's uncomfortable. Going to see a psychologist, seeing a psychiatrist, seeing if seeing if there's something going on, dealing with your trauma, dealing with things that you know in the past you know may still be coming up for you. And I think I think all the manifesting and meditation in the world is not going to help if if you've got that stuff you know going on. Really, you know, at the end of the day. So, um. I want to talk about your life now, right? So you um, you juggle your work, you juggle your training and things like that. Um, what's what's the next sort of year look like for you with travel and things like that? Tell us more about what's up, what's up ahead. What's the plan? Um, coach, so the new national coach, um, Coach Santiago, um, he basically said like once you've made the team um, for like, the Pacific Games, which will be in November. So the Nationals are in five weeks in WA. And then basically from there, like, we'll be um, in camps, like, in Canberra and Brisbane, um, Bosnia. Um, then we'll go to the Pacific Games and the Solomon Islands. And then all of next year, like, USA, Asia, um, we'll just be in camp basically all the way up until the Paris Games, which will be in July. Um so I probably won't even have the capacity to work. No. So yeah. that will be an interesting time probably. Yeah. Like Sponsorship's going to be really important for you. It's going to be vital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for you to be able to do it. Um, Skye, I want to ask you a question just out of my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Boxing. Yeah. Now, I do boxing, not the same as you, fair. I do boxing in a boot camp. I'm not great at it. I'm a bit bit stiff on my on my legs, I've been told. Like, you know, I can't can't quite move as nimble as I should. Um, but if someone, with, with boxing, what are the, I guess, the top three things you learn in boxing? So, you know, what are the important things around, I don't know, whether it's form or, you know, I just want to know. If I want to be a better boxer and there's someone listening that wants to be better, what's the three things we could do to get better? I think just confidence. Yeah. Like, I think, like, your self-efficacy is so important. Like, fake it till you make it. Like, if you think, like, you're, if you think you're doing well, then you will do well. Like, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, mm, I don't know. Technique-wise? Mm. Um, just so I can maybe, like, get my trainer and just, like, really shock them with some just cool technique. turning your knuckles over when you punch, so hitting with the last three knuckles. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and what else? And just having a good guard. 
Yeah. Do you have to have quick reflexes? Um, yes. Okay. Because I was going to say, I think I'd get punched in the face a lot because I would not pick it up quick enough. It doesn't get easier either. Like, it actually gets harder, like, the better you get. And and, are the, and, and what are the qualities, so like, if that you see in those really, you know, um, and you being one of them, but those, like, professional athletes in the boxing side, Gil's laughing at me. I want to know and get better at boxing, Gil, okay? What are the qualities you see in the professional elite athletes in boxing that kind of makes them stand out? Like, you'd know in your team what are some of the great things that you see that they do? They are just so professional. They embody what a professional athlete is. Yeah. Like, they sleep, eat, breathe, boxing. Like, mm. Like, it is a job to them. And, like, when you get into the ring, you get a job done. Like, you commit yourself to a task. Mm. Like, if you – like, there's a quote in my gym. It's like, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. And, like, I think watching people – oh, my God, going to Europe was – and India was just such a humbling experience because Australia is so far away from everyone. And boxing – like, every country. And boxing in Australia is just – especially women's boxing it's it's a popular sport but it's um it's a very underfunded and um a lot of women like it's a very still growing in that space mm. so going overseas and these they're literally just freaks like they've been doing this their whole lives like basically like some of the photos I'll post is like I've always wanted to be an Olympic champion and like they're like two years old with boxing gloves on like wow like literally like they're just freaks and they're just massive and, like, it's just – it was such a humbling experience. I came home and I was like, I've got to train harder. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I've got to train a lot harder. <laughs> this person's been doing it since they were two. Literally, I've got some time to catch up on I've you. got a lot of time to catch up on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love people that put, you know, so much effort into determination into something like that because, you know, it, it wouldn't be easy, you know, to be able to, like, especially, like, as a child, like, if they're, if they're knowing from the age of two that that's what they want to do, it's, like, moulding their whole life around it. But also that's kind of, like, it can be, like I said before, like, it could also be a negative thing because, like, their world will come crashing down if they don't achieve that goal yeah. because they've, that's all they thought about their whole yeah. life. Yeah. They haven't done anything else. And for me that's kind of, like, a positive thing. It's, like, yeah, I really love boxing. I try really hard. I train really hard. I put a lot into this. But also... I put a lot into making sure I do other things too. So I'm not kind of like in limbo when, you know, if I, if I fail tomorrow, break a bone or whatever, like I'm not going to be like stuffed. Like Mm. I'll have other things. Like I'll have a life after boxing. Mm. I think it's important for people to think of their backup plan, you know, in, 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 in things like boxing in things like entertainment, if you're a musician or a singer or you are in another career, it is important to think around, you know, it's great to aim towards and want that to happen, but what else is there out there for you? Like what, what's going to keep you, you know, grounded as well, um, as you're doing these great big things, having another, another career. Well, my, my thing is, is my identity is not boxing. Like, I do, you know, even with my boxing coach, like last year when I was writing my goals for the year, like I didn't think I was going to win the nationals. I bet Jess Messina, who had like almost 90 fights, and then I bet Nina Schuster, who was a silver medalist at the youth or junior world championships. Mm. No one expected me to win that, that, mm. that championships. But at the start of the year, I wrote the goal of I want to get a coffee with my coach every day of the year, like every day. Mm. And we did. And he said, you know, we 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 can solve the like the problems of the world over a cup of coffee. <laughs> like, um, I think I think 
what makes up Marissa is like the weird relationships. Like I have like just little friends and connections with people everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I see myself, I apply myself in so many areas. I just want to be the best version of my, myself. Like I want to be able to um, conversate with people and help them mm. um, if they need help. I want to be educated. Like I want to have, I want to go, no one in my family has ever gone to university. I'd love to go to university and have a degree and um, do something in that sort of realm. But also like no one in my family has ever been a high performance athlete and that's pretty awesome too. So (laughs) I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) But don't set like boundaries, not barriers. Like I don't want to limit myself. Like the sky is literally the limit. Like if I, but like you can literally do anything you want to do. Yeah. Well, you're proof of that for sure. You know, you've you've said that as well. I think you know, my favorite thing is didn't you found? When, how did you find the boxing gym initially? Were you not? I think you'd mentioned to me that you were actually sleeping on top of the gym at one point. Was that correct? Like back way back early on? Yeah, um, that was my my second gym. So the first gym, he was my boxing coach was a foster carer. He relinquished care. I went on to win the youth national championships, and um, there was this fellow there that was like, "Where's your coach?" And I was like. I don't have one. And then, you know, I got cornered by the the Vic team and I won the national title. Yeah. So this fella, James Rosler, he took me in and I ended up just living above. I actually ended up working for him for a bit too to give me, you know, to earn some money. Yeah. Ended up living above his gym. And, yeah, like <laughs> it wasn't ideal. You know, and you went there <laughs> and you got there without a coach as well. Like you, it's just, it's just you amazing. I love it. And I just think if people are listening right now and you think that you can't do something but you really want to do it, I don't know. I think risk kind of tells you that there's no real excuse. I mean, like there like there can be, but like if you want to do something, you'll just find the if, – if there's a, like – I think it was like a quote by Malcolm X. It was like um, by any means necessary. Mm. So that's, you know, do what you got to do, you know, to sort of just to get it done. Like, yeah, yeah. So – well, I think you're very impressive and I think what you've done and I think that a lot of – you're definitely somebody worth getting behind because, I don't know, I've got, you've got some good odds there of going pretty well in the Olympics <laughs> by the sounds of things, like with all the, the history to date. So, um, look, I'm going to go into our rocket round now and find out a little bit more around you. It's just a few questions um, as I'm, I know we've got to get risk back to training. <laughs> so uh, first question, favourite book? Favourite book? Hmm, look – I just read random things. Um, I'm currently reading um, True Tracks, which is by a intellectual property rights lawyer, a First Nations intellectual property rights lawyer, mm-hmm. Terry Janke. But favourite book of all time, I'm going to say like anything by Geronimo Stilton, that little rat. <laughs> he's like he's like a little children's book. Love those. Oh, cute. <laughs> I had an obsession with Dr. Seuss, but I'm going to check that one out. I'm, I'm always reading new books to my kids, so I'll, I'll check that one out. Uh, coffee or wine? I have it like if you wonder how I get through my days, it's like seven cups of coffee, like minimum <laughs> a day. Like I'm not even joking. I wish I was lying, but that's literally the truth. Okay, so definitely coffee. Um, and um, what uh, is your favourite holiday destination or place that you visited? I've actually never gone on a holiday. Like I've always travelled for like either boxing or for AFL. But I would love oh, – I don't even know, like – the possibility is endless. Um, I think doing a return to country when I went home to Natanjeri country last year mm. with my family, like that would probably 
um, yeah, that was like the most amazing experience of my life. And what makes you feel like you're home? Oh, God. just the people. I don't care where I am. Like I, my, yeah, just the people that are in my inner circle. I just love them all so much. Like we could have nothing and I'd still be happy. I love that. Uh, and the podcast that you've been listening to right now, what are some of the podcasts? Just a little shout out to my sissy girl, um, Fill My Cup. Oh, Lara Potter. yeah. She's a First Nations woman. Oh, so. I love that. What's it called? Uh, Fill My Cup. Fill My Cup. Okay. <laughs> Going to check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, look, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. I'm conscious of time because you've got to get back to training and your hectic schedule, which is very... I'm honestly genuinely shocked that we actually, like, could find time in between the Well, sessions. this was a journey, wasn't it? Backwards and forwards. Just like, oh, I can't do that. I was like, what about this time? Because, you know, uh, you're so busy with your schedule and then I'm trying to run a um, business too and I was like, we just, we, I can't believe we got here. It was like a total of 14 sessions in yes. the last seven days. 14 in seven days, yeah. It was, I looked at your diary and I was like, Riss, I don't know, what are we going to do? Um, but we made it happen. And NADOC week as well. So you've, have you had been trying to fit in stuff with it there, there as well for this week? Honestly, like sometimes it's nice to kind of be away from community because I'm, I feel like I'm, I get like that cultural load and a lot of burnout. Yeah. Like I'm always celebrating being a black woman. Like I always am celebrating being First Nations. Mm. Um, it was nice to do. I ran a session yesterday with um, with the team. Um, mm. Just showed them, you know, we did a yarning circle, and that's a that's a cultural practice, and showed them some some of my cultural um, like items. But I actually got to learn things about my team that I didn't know before because like they had a space that was open to just talk about what they wanted to talk about. But when I go home, like on Sunday, it'd be nice to just have some dinner with my mom and. Just probably cuddle her for a while before I have to get ready for work the next day and go back right. to training again. So, yeah. And how can people listening support you? Tell us more about sponsorship opportunities and things like that. And I will list it with the episode as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, just um, any support's good support. Um, give me a follow on my Instagram, Poll, And I've got a link in there to donate if um, people have the capacity and it's 100% tax deductible. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, we're going to give a donation for sure. Yeah, there's <gasps> no you. way that I could not donate because, yeah, I'm just so inspired by what you're doing. Um, and I definitely encourage people, I'm going to share a link uh, in the episode guide as well. Uh, please get on, follow Riss, support her. Let's get Marissa to the Olympics. Um, thank you for listening to Building Doors podcast. Like, share, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.